Welcome to Movie Blast with Bob and Bax, where we watch movies so you don't have to. I'm Bob. And I'm Bax. And we're here to introduce you to what Movie Blast with Bob and Bax is. Bob, what's the Movie Blast with Bob and Bax? Basically, Movie Blast is uh, a podcast designed to have us sometimes watch movies we've never seen before, give you a summary, talk about what we enjoyed, what we didn't like, and we'll we'll grade it after the fact. Yeah, and maybe we might watch more of a variety of films than some other podcasts out there. We might watch obscure B-movies, and we might watch critically acclaimed movies. So, yeah, there might be some variety in the mix. Absolutely. So we're going to do everything from classic mise-en-scene cinema to crappy movies that you've never wanted to watch that are probably the third movie in a series, like Saw 3. I didn't mind Saw 3. I haven't seen it. So, all right. And so I just want to say welcome to this week's episode. Hey, Bax, what did we watch this week? Man, Bob, we watched 2001, A Space Odyssey, a true classic. So 2001, A Space Odyssey is celebrating its 50th anniversary, which is why we watched it. I watched it at the Alamo Drafthouse Movie Theater and got to see it in 5.1 Dolby surround sound. And I... Really, really enjoyed that experience. Bax, how did you watch it? I actually picked up a Blu-ray with some Kubrick films. It has 2001 A Space Odyssey. It also has A Clockwork Orange. And it also has The Shining. So, yeah, just like trying to kind of be a movie guy and explore different genres of film. I found it for like 15. I thought it was definitely worth picking up. Because those are all, you know, really like critically acclaimed films. So, 2001 was made or actually released back in 1968 which is crazy to think about when you've actually seen the film there are things about this movie that i do not understand how they pulled off uh there are camera tricks that were created by stanley kubrick to this day with modern camera equipment and everything like that i don't think that people could recreate these better is a quick like kind of reference point. I remember learning about Star Wars and the original Star Wars is 77, right? Yes. Okay, so like 77 Star Wars drops and that's a huge deal. But watching this, it's like, man, this stuff was going on like nine, almost like 10 years earlier, you know? So yeah, it's super mm-hmm. nuts. Yeah, it's this is one of those films where I watched it and I, I went to film school and all that kind of stuff. I, I studied it and I got to see bits and clips of it, but I'd never watched it throughout the entire, like through its entirety ever. So I understood that there's a computer and I understood all these things that are just like, you know this about the specific movie, but I never sat back and watched the entire thing. So having that experience was mind blowing, especially being in a movie theater. Bax, do you want to hit us with some movie facts about 2001? Yeah, I would love to. So like Bob said, it was released in 68 um, and April 3rd of 1968 was the actual release date in the U.S. It was directed by Stanley Kubrick, and the screenplay was by Stanley Kubrick. Um, There was a book by Arthur C. Clarke as well. Um, The budget was about $10.5 million, and those are some facts for us. It made between $138 and $190 million. It's kind of a wide range. 
Yeah, I feel like when we're looking at how much a movie made back then, it made 10 times the budget. Right. That's kind of how I have to look at it, that it's projected that it made that much, but that's not accounting for DVD, VHS, Laserdisc, Blu-ray, HD DVD, Beta, everything that existed before that. And I mean, well, then, then if you go to like actual film prints. Right. So and I and so this movie has been around fifty years. I don't even think you can quantify how much money this movie's made. Bax, let's talk about the plot of this film. Man, let's get into it. So the movie starts with apes rolling around on planet Earth. A thought about the apes, Planet of the Apes, like the original with Charlton Heston, I believe was also nineteen sixty eight. And we have like some ape like creatures, obviously, in the Planet of the Apes. And I remember hearing that the visual effects in that, like the makeup and prosthetics and stuff, were supposed to be really impressive. I thought the apes in 2001 were like, I don't know how to word it. I was really impressed with them. They look like apes. Like, if you give me the 2001 apes and you give me, like, the apes that are hanging on the planet of the apes, I'm taking the 2001 ones. Oh, for sure. Like, there was a couple things that I noticed that there was, like, you could see a little bit of skin underneath the eye, one of the apes. And those minor imperfections, still, it's all real. It's, yeah. people, it's people hopping around as apes. It's nuts. The score of this film is insane as well. Bonkers. So like, yeah, it's just the entire... I, it's the first time that I've actually sat back and been like, I couldn't... I don't know what else could go behind what's being played to me. There's no catchy music. There's nothing. It's all just a classical score. It's, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah, and the classical score that we're talking about too... You still hear these tracks all the time, whether it's like an actual stuff or in parody. And like we said, like it's like a 50-year-old film, right? So, Oh, yeah. Like this, this, as of right now, has permeated culture. I know The Simpsons did a parody. Richard Pryor did a parody. There's a 2001 film called A Space Travesty. It's everywhere. After the apes see the, this black-like shape... A monolith, if you will. A monolith, yes. Um, that triggers what I would con- what I would consider the evolution into the next step. Absolutely. And so then that takes us to space, where there is a guy going around, basically having meetings and doing all this stuff, and seeing how we as human beings are traveling through space. After that, we have the actual voyage to Jupiter. Mm-hmm. where HAL 9000 and the crew are on board, three of which are in hibernation pods, and the other two are manning everything. They're eating meals and things like that. And HAL discovers a fault in their communication system, which then they investigate. They notice everything's fine. The two guys have this conversation saying, turn off all the communications so HAL can't listen in. And they're like... If Hal's wrong, because the other Hal 9000 thinks that there is no fault and everything's fine, if he's wrong, we have to shut him off. During that sequence, he's watching them and reading their lips. Hal 9000. Hal 9000, yeah. And so they come out, and that's where that breaks for intermission for me. So I, I, when I saw this in the movie theater, they took a 15-minute intermission at that point, which was insane. And But that's apparently how they... Did it. The Blu-ray that I have as well had the intermission. That's super cool. 
and that's when I look at the runtime of the theatrical version versus like the premiere. Is that the is that the reason? Because they had the intermission counting. I feel like that gap. I don't remember exactly how long the intermission was. I think you just had fifteen, so maybe that would make sense. So after that, uh, we come back to uh, Hal Nine Thousand basically killing one of the crew members by mm-hmm. launching him into space. Uh, the other guy goes out, tries to save him, and like the pod brings him back, has to go in through the escape hatch, gets inside, and shuts Hal off. Has to go in through the escape hatch because yep. Hal will not let him back on the ship. Exactly, yep. And enter the conversation that even if you haven't seen the film, you might know about the quotes of Dave asking Hal to open the pod doors and Hal letting Dave know, I can't do that. Yeah. Surprisingly, this film does not have a ton of dialogue. It's just, it, it almost feels like you're just watching action. I couldn't imagine reading the book because the book would probably bore me to sleep. After he gets inside, he shuts him off. Uh, a tape plays explaining that the mission was to go to Jupiter to figure out what the monolith is. Right. The monolith seems to be a super key part of the story. Absolutely. Yeah. So he gets there, he gets to Jupiter. And then the, what I would consider the trippy acid sequence, which lasts five minutes. Was it only five minutes? It felt like an eternity in the movie theater. It totally felt long. Yeah. It felt like, it feels like a while when you're watching it. But there is like different colors, things like that. There's like things with liquid. Like, I don't know how some of that stuff was done. Like, is it done with a thermal camera? I feel like I knew that it was going to get a little bit out there, you know, and like maybe a little bit psychedelic. But I did not know how long the psychedelic, cosmic, artistic stage of the film would last. I think that like that, as a person that's never done acid, that is what... I would think being on acid would be like, where it's just like, boof, and you're just hit by this waves of colors and stuff like that. And I wonder if that's part of it is if you look at the 1960s as what they are, drugs are influ- like are influenced in society and stuff like that, if that's part of what that mind-opening experience, which brings you into the final part of uh, Dave seeing himself get older and older and older and eventually dying and then being reborn and then being next to the earth. Overall, what was your favorite part, Bax? My favorite part would have to be like looked through a lens of time in the sense that considering that this came out in the late 60s, the things that were accomplished, it's all super impressive to me. Like you said, and you went to film school, you would know more about this stuff than I would. Um, like the use of color, the camera tricks, the visuals, like as a spectacle visually for 1968. I think that would be the thing that I appreciated the most. Absolutely. Yeah, like just having like the grip shoes, walking around, grabbing the pen, putting in the pen, putting the pen in that guy's pocket. Are they flying around in a space like not in a spaceship? No, I like in a like airplane doing the drop so that they're able to film that in zero gravity. Like that's the stuff that I'm just like, I don't know. Cause I didn't do a ton of research on it. Cause I just want to have that. If I know how all of these tricks work, it takes away the amazement of me watching it. I'm going to have to watch this again just to try to figure out like, how do they do that? Yeah. Yeah. I think this, 
almost audiences now might be kind of, I don't want to use the term spoiled. I think we're used to always getting plot points or action or dialogue. Like a lot of the time for a lot of people, if you're watching a movie, you're used to seeing things in succession that are going to move the story along, right? Or like move the plot along. And the 2001 is like, well, let's just take some time to show you something really beautiful and like have the camera just like sit on that for like a long amount of time, you know? Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Like in the beginning of the movie when they show you like the beauty of wherever they are, like the wilds in Africa and stuff. It's And I was counting in my head. I was like, all right, that's a five-second shot. That's a five-second shot. And I was kind of just, I don't know. That's something that I do as I figure out how many seconds are they keeping on a specific thing. Because yeah. now it's like one, two, and then they switch, and then they switch. And that's the MTV influence, and everything has to just go click, 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 click. And for me, watching something that's so fast paced, you lose the connection to the characters and things like that. A lot of my friends think this movie is boring. I can and, totally see that. Yeah. I th- and, and I think that they're right. Like there's not a ton that happens. Like we were able to boil down the movie into uh, a government agent goes to space talks to people, then tells, then basically preps a mission to go to Jupiter to discover the monolith. It's not that crazy of a plot. Hal has a fault. Hal uh, kills the crew. Hal is then destroyed. Guy gets old. The plot isn't that dense, but it's the stuff that you have to think about afterwards. Like, what is a monolith? <laughs> like, I don't know. Tell right. me. So it's like, I think that it symbolizes evolution. So every time you hit it, every time you see it, it's the next wave. And that Mm -hmm. final one, I think, is the evolution into death. Because we're all going to die, which is sad and morbid and whatever. But I think that's what that last bit says. Because the first one, ape to man, Mm -hmm. right? And then like space to space exploration, and then one human being to death. Like that's kind of what I took away. And I, and I might be wrong. And I think some people really appreciate things that let you interpret it yourself. And some filmmakers, right? Some artists might like their art to be that way. Right. I'm sure Kubrick was approached multiple times and people asked him, what does the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey mean? I haven't done the research. I don't know if he told people. But if you told me that he didn't want people to hear it from him and he wanted people to just figure it out for themselves... I, I could totally see that and I could totally understand that. Some people also like things to be laid out for them pretty point blank, you know, and be like, this is the meaning, like this is the moral of the story. All right, Bax. So when we were talking earlier via the text messages, you were telling me that you had questions for me. I do have questions for Bob. Hit me with them. Watching the film, we see a lot of the color red. So we get the scenes in the space station or, th- or scenes on ships scenes in pods and there's like a red hue around everything or like um whole 9000 has like a kind of i don't know if we would call it an eye but there's like red right yeah like red eye. I, I would say that's like a red eyeball that's yeah what it feels like yeah so like considering that i'm not like a guy that went to film school or anything and that stood out to me i wondered what you thought of the use of color in the film and especially if you feel like the use of red might mean anything or did anything for you i don't so there is a lot of red. I think the red 
inside of Hal's like system are is the blood right of Hal. Do you know what I mean? Because if it was just like white or whatever, it wouldn't really have like a thing here inside killing somebody when he's shutting Hal off. So that's what that is. I think the red eye is, I don't think it's murderous or scary or anything. I think if they wanted to do that, it could have went from blue to red at some point if they wanted to have it be something scary. But yeah, the the use of color, because if everything that you're seeing, everything is like this very basic white, except this like these red colors and red tones that you're coming across like and it's uh the spacesuits have different colors uh the foods the packages that are coming in have different colors like that's where you're getting your colors at and it could be the red could be used as a form of foreshadowing i didn't see that when i was watching it and the other question that i thought of while viewing is in a film where there might not be that much dialogue how do you feel like acting comes into play? I'm not sure how to convey the question very well. Like you see a lot of people that are just kind of standing around, you know, or a lot of people that are just walking around or a lot of people that are just floating around in ships. Mm-hmm. So you think that acting still comes into that and that the actors in the film were delivering strong performances. Well, if you look at any of the actors that are performing, um, Kubrick was notoriously hard on his actors. It would make him repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat, like The Shining, to get performances out of them. I think that every actor that was in the film had a specific thing that they were trying to accomplish in their scenes. Even when at the beginning they're trying to like discuss and talk, all they were trying to do was gather information from this guy, and that's what that scene was about. But other than that, it's like you're watching a stewardess walk around bring people food, that kind of stuff. And that's where all those camera tricks come in, where you're seeing what day-to-day life is like in space. And maybe like you're saying, like the camera work, the direction, the use of music, the use of color, maybe like those visual aspects and like auditory aspects can carry a film more than just acting can sometimes. Oh yeah, like the like an an actor that was in the film that you never see is the score. The thing that I took away was like, dang, that was insanely like every scene had its own music. Everything had a sound accompaniment. If we look to IMDb and look at what the users of IMDb think, 2001 a Space Odyssey currently holds an 8.3 out of 10. Um and Rotten Tomatoes, not surprisingly, you've got some pretty high percentages on there. The critics at Rotten Tomatoes 92% of them had a positive response to it. And the general audience of Rotten Tomatoes, 89% of them had a general, uh, positive response to it. I'm looking up regular human reviews. A person on the YouTubes says, the best movie ever made. Do you agree with that, Bax? I wouldn't say it's the best ever made, but if someone told me it was, I would not, like, I can't say the wrong necessarily, you know? And I feel like if you're in the conversation to be the best film ever made, like, that's something to be upheld back when films were made for the love of art and to inspire people. Now they're made to suck blood. I guess like we could get into what this person means by suck blood, but it definitely is artistic and it definitely could be inspirational. I'm sure to a lot of people I can see that still the best sci-fi ever. 
No phony contrived monsters, no gunfights in space. To those that don't get it, it's the most profound issues, origin, life, and death. It seems super, yeah, I can get where that person's coming from. And I'm someone that enjoys like gunfights in space and stuff, but I feel that. Chris Nolan can only look at this film and wish he had a fraction of Kubrick's intelligence and talent. Man. Man, that's a slap across the face. Man, we could probably get into some discussions about Christopher Nolan. I think some people like Nolan's work a lot. I think I think Chris Christopher Nolan that, that may, might do a good job. I think I think that was did, a little did, harsh. Did he do Interstellar? I think he did. Did he do <laughs> Did he do that Batman trilogy that some people love? Yeah, but those weren't as good. That didn't yeah. have a computer. The first time I saw this movie, I was heavy tripping on acid. Absolutely no regrets. Mm. Sounds like a wasted time, my man. The movie came out in 1968. It was epic then and still epic now. A true classic, not only sci-fi, but of cinema, period. 100% agree. Absolutely. The film is a journey through outer space, but it's also a journey through cinematic space. It conjures the future of making you sit through its vision of the future, spending time just being in it. Thanks, the village voice. Though it fails as drama, Stanley Kubrick's venture succeeds as dazzling visual art. That's maybe like the best concise summary (laughs) I've seen so far. 2001, a space odyssey shows violence, deception, and hubris as built inside our DNA with permanence fated to fuel our demise. That's also a really good summary. Thanks, that brings Jared. up a lot of good points that the film conveyed. Like from when you see like the apes, like dif- discovering the monolith and getting the bones, you know, and like taking lives and like, yeah, I get that. A small sphere of intellectuals will feel that Kubrick has said something simply because one expected him to say something. Most moviegoers will only wish that Mr. Kubrick would come back down to Earth. I think that's super fair, too. And I think that most moviegoers they're referring to are probably like your friends. I think the film's boring. And if someone told me that like they, they sat through this film, they felt like it was never ending and like they were glad when it was over. I can see it. You know, it's, it's what you're into. So, I mean, those are what some critics thought. And that's what some people thought. Now, Bax, what did you think? I'm glad that I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. Me too. For a film that came out in the late 60s, I think it is incredible for what was done at the time. And even 50 years later, looking back on it. Um, so, yeah, just like the legacy, some kind of word like that, legacy, longevity, impact, cultural significance. I think you used a term earlier, like permeated, you know? Yeah. Those kind of words are what come to mind for me after watching 2001 A Space Odyssey. But like I said before, I can totally see how for some people it would be boring. I can totally see how for some people it would just drag on. It depends on what you're into. If you're a fan of like the artistic side of filmmaking, though, I think you're probably going to love it. You've probably already seen it, and you probably love it. Probably. Max, what did you think, though? Like, personally, was it boring? It, at times, it felt boring. But then I find myself looking at other things in shots. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a scene and there's a pod and the pod lands. Mm -hmm. 
and it takes a while for this pod to be lowered into well that'd be like another ship or space station yeah. some other kind of vessel and in this sequence i'm like man the pod's kind of taking its time but then i start to look around and you can see there's other rooms and there's people in these rooms so just like the depth of every scene that you get like there's more there if you take the time and drink it in yeah and just today like we all have our phones like there's so much stimuli all the time I feel like to just like, if you were to like turn your phone off and turn the lights off and just try to take this film in, I feel like that would be like the best consumption. That's what like, I do now. That's like the only way that I'll watch a movie is if the, the phone is away from me. Yeah. And that's how you have to absorb this stuff. Like we're blessed to have so much media, but our attention spans are so low that we're not able to enjoy it. Like, and that's the bummer about it. I think that's exactly what I was trying to get at. And you just summarized it really well. Like the intention span thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like it, it dragged for me at times, but then I found myself just appreciating the depth of all of it. Absolutely. Like I was lucky enough to see it in the theater. Alamo Draft House, you do an amazing job. I'm really happy to have one in Minnesota where I live. The fact that nobody was on their cell phones, that nobody was like texting next to me, that we were all just uh, just sitting there being bathed in Stanley Kubrick's visual images was awesome. Yeah. Um, overall, I think if I had to rate this movie, I'd give it an A. Like, it's hard to deny the legacy, the legend that is Stanley Kubrick. I found out that he made Spartacus, which I had no idea that he made that. Um, and because The Shining, because that's a horror movie, like that was the thing that I was like, Kubrick is a master because of this. The Shining is, a, is one of the perfect pictures. 2001, also perfect. Bax, what would you give it? A to F. I have to give it an A too. And it's one of those things too that, yeah, you just, you got to give credit where credit's due, you know? Absolutely. And I feel like this is like a prime example of that. Like I personally wasn't in love with every minute of the film while I was watching it, but after watching it and thinking about it and processing it. Yeah. You just, you, you can't deny it. Like you already said. Well, I think this is a wrap on 2001, a space odyssey. I want to say thanks for listening to movie blast, Bob and Bax. If you're looking for more podcasts, go over to gamezillamedia.com. And GameZilla Media also has a Discord channel, and you can join that, and you can meet lots of other people that probably have similar interests to you. If you're here listening to a movie podcast, there's other people there that are into movies. There's people that are into games. So it's a super cool community of really supportive people.